Hello, I'm Dr. Julia Dana. Welcome to the Dermal Distinction Podcast, a master guide on science, beauty, and ethics in aesthetics. I've had decades of real life experience in aesthetics, dentistry, and training, and I'm passionate about passing on my insider knowledge and teaching you the techniques, the science, and the heart behind the rapidly growing world of cosmetic medicine. The Dermal Distinction Podcast is a safe space to explore the ethical approach to cosmetic injecting and education. It is a front row seat to a lesson in aesthetics, injectables, and skin science. As always, before undertaking any treatment, it is important that you seek advice from a qualified practitioner about your concerns. Join me each week with an open mind and remember, cosmetic injecting isn't just about changing faces, it's about changing lives. One of the most exciting things that I do in daily practice is to treat people in a non-surgical way where sometimes the traditional option was surgical. One of these treatments is looking at the chin. When we look at the chin, traditionally, a surgical way of bringing that chin forward was to do a quite hefty surgery and lots of orthodontic treatment, chin position, but often the patient will actually be numb for a good eight weeks. And that can be quite debilitating for the patient where the other thing that's often not talked about is that the patient actually can't chew on solid foods for around three months. Can you imagine not being able to chew on just regular food? So when we look at doing uh, non-surgical treatments, all of a sudden opens an exciting world for our patient because in a single appointment or perhaps even over two appointments, we can achieve what looks like a surgical correction, but this time without that downtime. I want to share with you my approach when assessing a patient. When I'm assessing a patient, I'm always thinking about their best interests. And sometimes what that means is that I need to look at the patient as a whole. So the first part of the assessment is the patient's age. If the patient is quite young, I want to know, has that patient actually developed? Is their skeletal structure where it's going to be? So I make an ethical decision based on an age really early on in my assessment. Am I going to suggest a non-surgical approach for this patient or would that patient be better off in the long term undertaking a surgical approach? So this is part number one. Part number two, and this is probably one of the most important and most topical issues at the moment, is that patient's psychology. I want to know why. Why do they want the treatment? Is it because they have some sort of psychological, emotional concern? Or is there actually a physical assessment that I'm making where they could benefit from this treatment? So this is a really important one that we cannot miss and we have an ethical obligation to undertake this assessment for our patient. Money matters. It's so important. Again, in this current climate in the aesthetic industry, we need to get financial consent from our patient. This is one of the areas that you must cover with your patient. You need your patient to be on the same page with you regarding their financial commitment and what they're investing with you. And you need to be really upfront and really honest because it's an ethical way of going forward with your aesthetic treatments. The most common threads that happens in my practice, and it probably happens in your practice too, is that often patients want to hide the treatment that they have with me 
And so we need to consider that as part of our overall care of the patient and being really upfront in what the patient can expect. So for instance, it's really important to divulge things like risk. So what's the expected risk of the procedure? So one of the most common risks is bruising and the patient needs to be on board with that. Now there's some areas of the face where bruising is going to be more commonplace and some areas where it might be not so commonplace. Another huge trend we're seeing at the moment is all about the nose. So traditionally, when we're treating a nose, we're going to be doing a surgical rhinoplasty. And what that usually entails is quite a lengthy process. I know that on social media, we see the immediate before and after, but what we don't see is that that after photo is normally taken almost a year later. Often I'm presented with patients that are quite self-conscious about a little bump on their nose and that is the presenting reason why they're coming to see me because they would like to straighten that out. When I'm assessing a patient for a liquid rhinoplasty, I need to assess whether adding dermal filler, which is the way that we would approach this non-surgically, will be of benefit to them. If I'm doing a dermal filler liquid rhinoplasty, what I'm doing is adding additional structure to the nose. If you are extremely unlucky as a patient and as an injector, because nobody wants this outcome, nobody, what can happen is that gel will travel backwards and travel to behind the eye and that temporary uh, blockage can sometimes cause blindness. Now, the risk is estimated in uh, to be about 1 in 100,000 syringes. So it's actually very, very small. And when we sort of think about areas on the face, we consider risk. We're always considering risk, whether it be a high risk or a low risk. And this is part of, again, our discussion with the patient. Are we going to go down the surgical path? Are we going to go down the non-surgical path? Because when we take our patient on that journey, it's important that they understand what they are signing up for, the treatment that they're going to get. We need them to be on the same path and the same mindset that we're at. And when they take a risk, we take a risk. And we need to make sure as part of our ethical obligation to the patient that we're both taking that risk, knowing where we're going and what treatment journey we're about to embark on. So do they have a gummy smile because of an excess maxilla? So the upper jaw just being way too long. Or is it because perhaps they don't have what's called passive eruption? So passive eruption is where the gum is still sitting over the teeth and it just never disappeared. So the teeth look physically too short because the gum has just not gone up the tooth high enough. So that is assessment number two. Assessment number three is that perhaps the elevators of the upper lip are just far too active. You know, like sometimes we might, you know, pose ourselves in a photo where, you know, we show our best side or whatever. But can you imagine just never smiling fully, never showing that joy? And, you know, by applying some botulinum toxin into two little muscles either side of the nose, it helps to modify the pull of that muscle so that the lip elevators right in the center of the lip just can't raise the lip up as high as they used to. And the great thing about that is that we can also tailor it for our patient. We can give a slightly higher dose for those that really want to drop the lip a lot, or we can give a more minor dose for those that are a bit nervous, want to dip their toe in the, into the water. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Dermal Distinction. The conversation continues over on my Instagram at Dermal Distinction Academy, where I encourage you to connect with me. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd love for you to subscribe 
rate and review. 